Welcome back to Behind Our Door. Hi, Julie. Hi, Nancy. What a treat. We have part two with Dr. Patrick McGrath. I could listen to you, Patrick, for hours on end. I it's mean, that soothing voice. Yeah, yeah you have a good radio voice. Well, thank it you. Is, uh, <laughs> this is something that time is flying as we speak to you. We could do a whole a couple of months with this guy. You have to promise you'll come back. Sure. Yeah, this no is really, mm-hmm. to have a part two is a treat, but this isn't the end. All right. I'm sorry, not the end. <laughs> I feel like we're all dating now. So, <laughs> so um, the last, the last for part one talked a lot about anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, I know from reading about you, a really interesting, above many interestings, is an interesting fact is that you've really focused on OCD and, yes. in your career. Um, I think, Julie, that's what we should talk about. What do you think? Yeah, I yeah. Think OCD, obsession, I, compulsion disorder. And for our, for our listeners, I feel like this is a treat because there are not a lot of uh, resources and podcasts, et cetera, that would necessarily deal with OCD. It's a, This is a, a real treat to have you here. Yeah. Well, yeah. I feel like before you start speaking, because I know you can talk on this for hours. But, I could, yeah. Um, <laughs> Wind me up, here we go. I know. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's not as, what's the word? I don't want the word debilitating, but it's not as flashy. Bipolar, flashy. Schizophrenic, yeah. flashy. You know, there's always um, some dangerous aspects to it, mm-hmm. some manic behavior. So I think people f- look at OCD like, ah, it's not that bad. Well, yeah. everyone always says everyone has a little OCD. No. Yeah, we'll talk about that. <laughs> I have a question to mm-hmm. just start it off. With all of your your background is so just vast with um, knowledge from every bit of what somebody would have to know about seeking therapy with um, anxiety, depression, every, all, all of the above. But how did you focus on OCD? How did you decide to have a specialty in that? Uh, a postdoc, actually. So I finished my doctorate degree uh, and I went to the St. Louis Behavioral Medicine Institute in St. Louis, Missouri. And there I got to work under the direction of Dr. Alec Pollard, who was my mentor for my two-year postdoc in the uh, Center for Anxiety and OCD there. And about one week into it, I thought, yep, yeah, this is what I'm going to do. Wow. And uh, I have done it now for 22 years and wow. have just really loved doing it. So the doing the therapy for OCD exposure and response prevention therapy really just fit my personality well. And I just felt the gel. And I saw people get better. And that's what I really well, like. That's a was big that. plus. Yeah, big win. Yeah. So, yeah, I'll, let me piggyback then off of some of the things you said, Julie, because, yeah, and, and it's to the, this idea that everyone has a little bit of OCD, which if you say that to someone with OCD, they will want to throttle you yeah, because um, that really diminishes mm-hmm. OCD. You know, I it, when the pandemic started, I remember seeing a newscast and, and all these uh, newscasters were sitting out in someone's backyard, all socially distanced. And one of them said, well, maybe all of us should just develop a little bit of OCD and then that Oof. will help us get mm. through the pandemic. Now, imagine that way. Not yeah. Good. Imagine mm-hmm. saying to someone who had a weight issue, you know, uh, developing a bit of anorexia would be oh. really helpful right now. We, well, that would be awful yeah. to awful. say to God. someone, right? Right. That would make me so mad. Yes, exactly. And that's how people with OCD feel when someone says, well, uh, Oh, I just, I have a little OCD or we all have a little OCD or, or maybe we should all have a little OCD. It really does just diminish the the concept. And Julie, I think that one of the reasons that 
you see OCD not seen as serious is because in TV and film, OCD has been kind of the butt of jokes, right? Yes. Um, you see films about crime solving and if you have OCD, it makes things better or it's funny or, or various things of that nature. But the World Health Organization has called OCD one of the top 10 most disabling disorders in the wow. world. Wow. Oh, so that's interesting. It's, it's way, way up there. And the reason for it is that logically people absolutely understand what's going on is ridiculous, right? It's that it's just out of the, out of the blue, left field kind of thing. And yet emotionally, if I don't do something to neutralize it and something bad happens, it will be my fault. And, and this guilt and shame and disgust and, and, and horrible feeling that is created then until that compulsion is completed is what drives people behavior on a daily basis. Yeah. You know, I have, I have stood next to people who are washing their hands and they're bleeding because their skin is cracked and peeled and the water is scalding hot and it's 40 minutes in trying to get them away from the faucet. And and they just think, yes, but I can feel the virus is burying, in, burying into my skin. And if I don't wash them off now, I will get sick and die. Or I will then pass it on to someone else and it will be my fault and I will have caused them to be harmed. And it's that internal torture that people feel that describes OCD. I can't even imagine that. Yeah, I, I do. I have when when I think of OCD, I do think um, through many people coming through the crisis calls, et cetera, of just the word debilitating. Mm -hmm. It just affects. It sort of spiders off into so many different directions yeah. because of the strength of the thoughts. Yeah, and the numerous various subtypes of, of thoughts, too. You know. Which are what? Explain maybe a little more about that. Sure. So, you know, everyone's pretty familiar, of course, with the hand washing and the cleaning and things of that nature, or maybe somebody who organizes things. But there's harm OCD. Was that a bump or did I run someone over? And so somebody who drives around the block 20 times to see oh, if there's wow. a dead body somewhere. There's pedophilic OCD. You know, I was walking past that child and they looked up at me and I looked down at them. And was I looking at them because I was thinking, you know, you're really cute. And if I thought you were cute, does that mean that I maybe wanted to molest you? And now I should never go anywhere with children ever again just to make sure that I don't do that. Ugh. Right? Uh, there's sexual orientation-based OCD, you know, where I identify as this, but but what if one day I suddenly change and I'm not that anymore and I've, I'm married and I have a family and then, and then I would leave them and it would be awful and horrible to them and so how can I know 100% for sure that I am what I am or I'm not what I'm not or something of that nature? And, and that's really where OCD goes into this, I have to know 100%, right? But OCD's nickname is the doubting disorder. So oh. the doubting disorder can never be convinced 100% of anything and yet it demands it so now you've got this internal struggle of i have to get 100 percent guaranteed that the thing that i'm afraid of didn't happen but i have the doubting disorder so i can never be guaranteed that it didn't happen because i'll always doubt it no matter what you tell me and that is the struggle for people so well, there's exhausting yes yeah. to, to the brain stuck. you are stuck mm -hmm. you are stuck even like existential ocd you know why are we here and what is the purpose of everything and i have to figure that out before i can move on in my day-to-day -day life there's relationship ocd you know i notice the neighbors hold hands more than we do does that mean they love each other more and if they do does that mean that we should love each other more but maybe we don't so now what does that say about our relationship and should we get divorced are we supposed to be together what if i found someone else attractive does that mean i don't like you anymore and those types of things see that what you're saying is interesting 
because you you know you hear people you know that that kind of thought pattern but i wouldn't have classified that as ocd it can be right yeah that's it really interesting if it's obsessive thoughts yeah mm-hmm. so what's an obsession an intrusive thought or image or urge that somebody identifies as really disturbing or uncomfortable and um it could lead you to feeling things like disgust or shame or guilt or, or anything uncomfortable. It can be anxiety-provoking. And so you do something to try to neutralize it, right? And that neutralization is a compulsion. And a compulsion is a mental or behavioral act that you do either in a very scripted kind of standardized way or that you do in order till it feels kind of just right, that you've done it to neutralize the experience that you've somehow gotten rid of of the bad thought or feeling or image or urge. And I use bad in quotes for those of you not watching because you can't see us here. But because to me, there's no such thing as a bad thought, right? A thought is just a thought. A thought is not good. A thought is not bad. But OCD judges and OCD tells you, well, that was bad. You shouldn't have had that thought. You shouldn't be thinking something like that. Even like scrupulosity, there's, there's religious scrupulosity. Did I somehow offend a higher power and will that send me to hell or did i have a blasphemous image or urge in my head or there's moral scrupulosity what if i've offended somebody and they they are now hurt because of me and and how can i make enough amends to someone to make sure that somebody is not harmed by something that i might have done or or feels bad because of something that i could i could do so those are just some of that. And then you have the related disorders to OCD. So now that category in the DSM is OCD and related disorders. And you have things like trichotillomania, which is pulling of the hair, and, and that can be anywhere on the body, or excoriation, which is skin picking disorder. And then you have hoarding, which now has been pulled out of OCD and is now its own disorder. So oh, you have really? hoarding oh. disorder. Because hoarding never fit that. well into OCD, mm-hmm. right? You know, people with OCD talk about they it, what we say egodystonic. They don't like the thoughts or the images or urges they want them to go away uh but people with hoarding would would like you to go away and just leave them alone right yeah <laughs> and, uh, yeah and and so we can do we could do another show on hoarding one day if you'd ever want to do that actually that actually be, absolutely okay that's we'll a do that. really important that'll be, topic that'll be yeah. one in the future um what about cutting self-harm so self-harm is usually uh, almost like a distraction, kind of like we talked about before, safety behavior, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, if I don't like the feeling that's going on inside of me, I can focus on the cutting and the pain that I'm creating because that feels more in control than does whatever's going on inside. That so makes sense. there's a lot of people where self-harm is involved because I can be in control of what I'm feeling when I do the self-harm instead of these other uncomfortable emotions or feelings that I'm having that I don't have control over. What about um, eating disorders? Is anorexia and OA and OCD well, there's disorder a lot of, part there's of There's a lot of discussion about that, let me tell you. I mean, uh, there's there's some of us who see anorexia as OCD about food, right? And mm-hmm. That's what I was wondering. It's a fine line. Yeah, it is. And there's a lot of people with eating disorders who have OCD tendencies. And, you know, another one of those subtypes in OCD could be perfectionism, which is what you see a lot in anorexia as well, too, especially, you know, having to eat, oh, look the, the perfect way, the eat, eat the perfect amount of food have all these kinds of things so um there's there's a lot of discussion in fact now they're starting a lot of the programs that treating disorders are incorporating exposure and response prevention therapy into the treatment of anorexia interesting because they're finding it to be a very helpful experience so you see a relationship based on treatment there and and um, there's a lot of crossover themes between the two of them as well so so there are various gray areas at times with what something would fall under. Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. And, you know, boy, like, if OCD loves anything, it's a gray area. So, <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So go ahead. I don't think people should be caught up in the exact diagnosis anyway, mm-hmm. because we're worried Agreed. about the, the symptoms, right? The, yeah. The debilitating. Treat, treat the symptoms. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you won't always know it's OCD because you can't always see it. You know, m- many people, even when we go back to TV shows and movies, it was all about people doing things, you know, straightening something out or, or having to go back and check something. But people with OCD also have mental compulsions. So it could be sitting there and just praying over and over again to make sure that they're didn't do something that was offensive to a higher power, right? And it, or it could be counting. I had someone who every time she saw a number, she had to count up to it because if she didn't, she thought a bomb would go off. Whoa. And so she wanted to make sure that no bombs would go off because if it did, she'd be responsible be because she hadn't counted, right? Mm-hmm. So now the teacher calls her parents in and says, uh, your daughter has an attention deficit disorder. Very Why? Common. Well, she's not paying any attention in class. She's just staring off in space. Well, she wasn't paying attention, but she wasn't paying attention, not because of ADD. She wasn't paying attention because there was a clock at the front of the room, and every time she looked up, she saw a number. She had to count up to it because she didn't thought a bomb would go off. And so now it looks like she's not paying attention to class, and so her head's either down or looking all over the place anywhere but where the teacher is because the teacher always stood under the clock, so the clock's always there. And the teacher assumes this is ADHD when the reality is she's trying to keep everybody alive. Wow. Wow. This is very eye-opening. Yeah, it really is. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is, it's complicated, complex. Totally. It's such a complex issue. How or, do you or, determine or, uh, the complex uh, terminology? How mm-hmm. do you determine the difference between these obsessive, intrusive thoughts as opposed to schizophrenia then? Yeah, great question. And boy, um, you know, there's there's some people with OCD who are afraid, you know, what, what if this isn't OCD? What if this is psychosis, right? Yes. Um, so... The, the big difference that I typically see in these types of situations is someone with OCD will come into my office and say, what if this is blank, right? Versus someone with psychosis will say, I actually see this or that, or I'm hearing these okay. or this things versus what if I do see these things or what if this means this instead of that? You know, it's, it's the type of conversation that you can have with someone that really does start to kind of give me the idea of which direction we're going in this. Now... The caveat on that, though, of course, is that OCD has levels of insight. So there's good or fair insight, there's low insight, or there's there's no insight, which is like delusional kind of insight, which means that we might suggest a low-level atypical antipsychotic medication to start with to help break the near delusional belief that the obsession is truth okay. in someone. So that's where it can get really kind of muddy or sticky with us. And that's just, again, where using good measures to help you assess and, and diagnose are helpful, a good clinical interview. And, um, you know, 22 years of doing this is helpful as well, too, just being able to hear certain things in the way people describe things that will tell me if, if it's one or the other. It's interesting. I really hadn't thought, I hadn't heard this before about the intrusive thoughts um, in OCD. I mean, intrusive thoughts slash schizophrenia, you know, the thinking of that it's just it's very interesting i i really had not ever heard that before so um you know i i've seen some videos and and there's some great videos on youtube of of uh, psychosis if you look up schizophrenia and gerald they did a filming of a guy named gerald and they showed him in some interviews with doctors and they interview his doctors and you know the doctor will say gerald has voices that say you know you stabbed that person or you want to molest that person or something like that and 
and, and someone with OCD will come in and say, what if I were to stab someone? Mm-hmm. What if I wanted to molest someone? That kind of thing. Or, or I'm afraid I might have done something type of issue, you know, okay, well, what's the evidence? Well, I don't have any, but what if I did? I mean, I, you know, I know you're on the police department. So I've had people who have called the police because they were watching television and there was a hit and run described on television. And they went outside, they looked at their car, they went around to look for damage. And then they came in and they called the police. Now, there were a couple of problems here. Number one, their car didn't match the description of the car described in the hit and run. But what if I misheard the car description? Mm-hmm. Okay, so we, we, can, we can say that one. And then I look around the car. There's no damage on their car. But what if there is and I just missed it and I didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't see it? Mm-hmm. Very interesting. And then, wow. number three, the most interesting one, they hadn't actually driven that day. <laughs> but what if I did and I forgot? Okay. And that's where OCD is just digging and digging and yeah. digging in. You can like, see that. Yeah. What if you did wow. this? What if that? And maybe you did. And maybe you did. And oh, there's doubt there, right? Uh, we can't have doubt. We have to have certainty. So maybe it's just best to call the police to have them check just to make sure. Yes. And I've, I've experienced that a lot in my job. Yeah. So that could be a symptom of OCD, somebody who's doing that. But on the, but on the surface... The police, you know, someone answering the phone to that would think this person is delusional. Yes. You know, like this person is delusional and uh, it's their thoughts. They wouldn't have, they wouldn't know that yet, They that that thought goes round and round. Correct. Correct. Mm-hmm. No, and how are we supposed to figure that out? Yeah. You know, until, we, right. until we show up at the door, obviously, yeah. and then we're, we're stuck with basically trying to talk them out of it. Or... You know, the, in this instance, there was almost a threat of arrest for making a false report to police. Right? Or, wow. yes, yeah. in Luckily, some agencies, yes. her mom was home and said, you know, my daughter has OCD. We're, we'll be seeing a therapist this week. Mm-hmm. Right? Wow. Uh, so, so what? let's talk about treatments. I mean, you have <laughs> uh, such a great uh, background in treatment, mm-hmm. um, something like the NoCD yeah, so I work app. for a company now called NoCD. We have an app. It's free. You can download it on Google Play or iOS. It's just NoCD. Check it out. And we have tons of therapy tools on there. And you know, I do a, a weekly webinar uh, every Wednesday night oh. as well that people can listen into, and you'll get a little push notification on there. But for people with OCD who are wondering if they might have it, we can set up a free 15-minute call with people, and then Fantastic. we can do teletherapy all over the country, and we take insurance insurance and everything too. So we are really trying to kind of go from what you guys said at the beginning about the the need for information about OCD. That's our goal as a company is to That's get fantastic. information about That's OCD so out there to the world. You know, our founder, Stephen Smith, went through multiple therapists before finally being diagnosed correctly with OCD and and having just bad therapies, you know, uh, stick a rubber band around your wrist and every time you have a thought you don't like, snap the rubber band kind of thing, and you know, which, not helpful by the way. Uh, shocker, I know. But um, there's Unfortunately, and, and you too may have seen this even in your own personal experiences with your sons, there's a lot of bad therapy out there. Yes. Yes. I know. I know I'm preaching. And you to the have choir. to advocate, you know, I always say advocate for your person, for your yeah. because you know the core of who they are and you know when something isn't right therapy yeah. wise. So how do you find a good therapist? What's your advice on it? Um, well, you find a group like NoCD that specializes in something and that you know is being trained the right way and has people recognized in the field like myself or others who this, are directing and leading that kind of experience, right? Um, you look at national organizations and and 
check in with them. Who is on their therapist finder list? You know, there's organizations like the International OCD Foundations. There's the Anxiety and Depression Association of America. There's the Association for Behavioral and Cognitive Therapies, all of whom have lists on their websites of therapists who do the kind of work that is the evidence-based treatments for those disorders. Yeah, great. I also imagine that, you know, in this world now of telehealth, because of uh, the pandemic, that of all things, I mean, it's definitely getting to be a very, it's, it's a very good connection. You can still actually have therapy, but with oh, your yeah. specific um, therapy, it must be great because the person's home it's or fantastic. they're usually in their own environment. Has that been yes. a benefit? Yes. So when, I just thought of that. that when you came be. to my office back in the day, you described to me all the issues you had with your stove, if you left it on and mm -hmm. how you felt about it. And, and I would have to kind of visualize that and come up with exercises and give you things to do and hope you did them when you went home and then have you report back next week. Now, hey, go over to your stove, let's turn it on, and then we'll turn it off. Then we're going to walk in the other room. We're not going to go check it again. Wow. And we're going to leave it and there for right the next And you're right there hour. in their house. And yeah. I'm there wow. with them in the experience. I love it. It is the, it is the greatest wow. thing. I, and I love teletherapy. I didn't know how much I would like teletherapy till I did teletherapy, but it's amazing how in the moment I can be with people now yeah, in a great. way that I never, ever was before when I was doing therapy life. So much more beneficial. Yeah. Oh, mm -hmm. that's great. What a benefit. And I like that too, that you can bring, you can bring you home. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. You're, you're right I'm, there. I'm right there in people's house. Hey, <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> what are some of the um, therapies that you're using, like non-invasive? Well, yeah, just to describe like what an ERP would look like. So let's say what we is have, e what, is an what is an ERP? So the first piece is the exposure, right? So I'll give you an example of someone I treated and I'll give you one of the more extreme examples that I've done just, okay. just to give you an idea. So had someone who was standing at a train platform, this was over 20 years ago now. So, and so I, I say that because there was no Uber back then or other stuff. And she lived in a, in a town where there was a big apartment complex at the end of a train line and all the students kind of lived out there. It was cheaper and yeah. they would all just take the train in. So the train comes and there's a whole bunch of students there. And as the train's coming, she gets this intrusive thought of, what if I were to push somebody into the train? And oh she sees gosh. kind of that image of her doing that. And she even feels this urge, you know, of, of like in her body, like this surge of, of feeling and everything. And she backs up to the railing and she grabs the railing and she holds on to it. And all the students get on the train, the doors close and the train takes off. And she walks back home and she calls her parents and says, I have to drop out of school. I can't get there anymore. She wow. doesn't have a car. This is the only way to get to school. And she's not going to go anymore because she's not going to get into the train because she's afraid she might push somebody into a train. So, so scary. they yeah. set her up with a therapist who says to her things like, oh, honey, you're so, look, you're so frail and small. There's, there's just no way you can push people into a train and just stop thinking that, you know, the, the yeah, pink elephant. That must, that, that's uh, yeah. great advice. Yeah. Just stop just thinking. Just stop thinking. Yeah. Stop thinking that. Uh, if only yeah. we could all do if, that. If only. Yeah. Well, boy, there's a few things I'd like to stop thinking. <laughs> so, um, that doesn't work. And then other therapists who try very similar types of things and just... You know, just tell her to, you know, hold a crystal or, or do some smell this thing and that'll make you better and all that. And, and none, of, none of which gets her to the train. So finally she comes to our clinic and uh, I start with, what are you ultimately afraid of? Right? Well, I could hurt people. I said, okay, well, have you, have you ever hurt anyone before? No. Do you want to hurt anyone? No. Okay, 
great. Let's get you to see if you could hurt me. And I'm going to be the guinea pig. So she does karate. So we measure a punch and I stand about two inches past her punch. I said, you're just going to do 10 minutes of punches now. And I'm just going to stand here and not move. And so she's punching and it's coming two inches to my face and I'm not flinching. And I said, all right, now let's measure a kick. Okay. So we do that. And then we did, you know, the next session, that's what we did. And then the next session, I got a butter knife out. And I said, all right, I'm going to, I'm just going to put my wrist down on the table here. I'm going to have you hold that butter knife on my wrist. And I just want you to think about sawing the, those little plastic ridges back and forth. Next session after that was a real knife. And we did it. And then the next session after that, I had her hold the knife at my throat. I said, I just want you, while we're talking today, to think about the fact that you could just stab me right in the throat right now. And then the next session, I said, now we're going to go down to the train track down the way. And we spent three hours with me standing a foot from the tracks with her hands on my shoulder. And for three hours, every time a train came by, I turned around, I turned my neck back and said, okay, here's your chance. Go ahead and push me as hard as you can. And after three hours of doing that and her not pushing me, I said, what are you going to do tomorrow? She said, I'm going to call school and I'm going to go back to school. I said, oh, wow. God. Wow. wow. Now, wow. I didn't spend time trying to figure out where this came from. It's OCD. You know, that's where it came from, right? OCD takes something that is important to you and turns it on its head, right? So, so I knew ultimately I had to get her to recognize that she could be on a train platform and just because a thought about pushing somebody into it or an image of her doing it or even an urge to do something like that was there didn't mean that she was going to follow through on it. But OCD's interpretation of a thought, image, or urge is what we call thought-action fusion. Thoughts are as bad as actions, right? And when you have thought-action fusion, thinking something is just as bad as doing something. So if I think about, you know, <laughs> punching either of you right now, it's as if I've done it and I have to leave this office because mm -hmm. I'm, I'm then that close to actually doing it. And the reality is, is no, that's not the case. You know, someone else I treated, I, I have a, a work wallet for when I do go in the office. I don't have it with me today, otherwise I pull it out for you. Uh, but uh, I have a card on my work wallet that says, I hope my parents die tonight, that I've had, in, and I've had that card in there for over 15 years because I was working with somebody who was afraid, if I think about my parents dying, it will kill them. And if I do think about it and I don't say a prayer afterwards, then they will die. So I said, all right, well, I'm just going to write this down on here. And so I wrote, I hope my parents die tonight. And then I put, please God. And then I put a 666 on the card. And then I had put it in my wallet. And it is still there to this day. And my parents are still alive. So we can think something. We can feel something. We can have an urge about something. But it doesn't make it true. And it doesn't make it real. And it doesn't cause something to happen. So what I do all day long with people is I purposely expose them to things that they are afraid of. But this is a slow, gradual thing, right? We are not throwing you in the deep end of the pool. We're going to start with tiny little things like we did with that, with the, the girl that I talked about earlier where, okay, let's measure a punch kind of thing. And we built up to the train track. We didn't start there. But that's where we got to go. We got to get people to do things they're afraid of and learn that they can handle them. That, that a thought doesn't make something happen. An urge doesn't mean you're going to do it, right? Uh, your, your level of understanding what is going on in, the, in the, the brain of somebody struggling with this is just remarkable. I mean, the trust, I'm speechless. <laughs> Julie and I are looking at, <laughs> no one can see, we're looking at each other. I'm, you know, kind of gripping the story. Dumbfounded. Uh, the entire story is gripping, but, and you're sitting here as so we figured, you know, nothing happened. You're with us here today, but, <laughs> but, uh, your your level of understanding of getting inside someone's head with this is well, and the compassion such for a it. gift. Mm. I mean, it's 
It's really something. Well, people with OCD suffer, and they, it's, it's a silent suffering for so many people because they, they torture themselves, yeah. right? Their head is just running through all of this stuff mm-hmm. and all these what-if kinds of things, and, and they, they believe they're monsters. They believe mm-hmm. they're awful, horrible people. They, they believe they're on the verge of, of doing something or something bad happening, and it is only because I do this compulsion that this thing doesn't happen. And, and what I want to teach you is that OCD is a liar. You you don't have to do the compulsion. The emperor it has no clothes, right? Uh, so, kind of thing. So when you have success with someone like who you know went to school after the American Idol or school refusal mm-hmm. or whatever, we had talked about that in another show. But this this person, let's say you're talking about right now, who you worked through this and they ended up going back to school. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you do they have setbacks where they have to come back? Like, is I mean, nothing is permanent. I know, yeah. but um, are, or are they able to retrain their thinking that it sticks and they really? My goal is to work myself out of a job. You know, mm-hmm. if I've I done... was wondering that, like, yeah. is this something they have to touch base? Oftentimes, you know, something bipolar disorder, depression, all these with the schizophrenia diagnosis. All there, there's ongoing therapy that's right. so helpful. With this, is it the same? We do. I, I do love a, a touch base now and then just mm-hmm. to make sure people are still using the skills that we've provided mm-hmm. them. You know, going to schizophrenia, you know, why do so many people with schizophrenia relapse? Because when they get out of the hospital, they think, oh, I'm out of the hospital. Yeah, I must be OK. I don't need to take these meds anymore yeah. mm-hmm. so I can stop them now. And then what happens? They, re, they relapse. Mm-hmm. Right. So what I don't want for anyone with OCD is to have that kind of mentality either. Oh, I'm done uh, seeing Dr. McGrath now. I don't need to do my ERP anymore. No, I want you to do ERP every day. Mm-hmm. I want you to purposely expose yourself to something on a daily basis that you're afraid of oh, that's or that what is I was uncomfortable. Wondering. Like the coping yeah. strategies are ongoing. That's it. That's it. And then I love to check in with people, even if it's once every couple of months and Mm -hmm. it might even be for a half hour session, just how's it going? What are you doing? Mm -hmm. Where are you getting caught up? What can I do? How can I, how can I support you here through this? You know, one of the things that's nice about our no CD app when we're doing therapy with people is we can also message our members Mm -hmm. as well too. So it doesn't always have to be a session. It might just be uh, somebody messages me and saying it's been a really rough day. What's going on? And I'll give them a little bit of advice right there, right? I'm not doing therapy over messaging, but I can be very supportive to people to remind them, hey, remember, this is what you're supposed to do in these situations. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, thanks. That's what I got to do, right? Now, what about, I read somewhere that you have also a residential treatment center yeah, for OCD? So I opened the Foglia Family Foundation Residential Treatment Center, which is in the Chicago area. It's out in Elk Grove Village, and it is part of Alexian Brothers Behavioral Health Hospital, uh, which is now Amita Health, but they're changing <laughs> in the midst of a name change. So, But uh, Foglia is designed for people with uh, anxiety and OCD, or people who have substance use, or even people who have both, right? Because right now, before Foglia was opened, if you had OCD and substance use, there was nowhere to go. You, you either, you had to go get your substance abuse treated first, but then if that was your coping strategy for OCD, now you've lost that. So your OCD is now going to ramp up hugely. And then they want you to be sober for 30 or 60 or 90 days. And then you could go for OCD treatment, right? Lots that, of torture in there. Well, and people you know, have, have died. Really tough. Let's just yeah, be honest. People have committed imagine. suicide and people have died because yeah. of it. So what our goal was in open, opening Foglia was that now you could, you could have a one-stop shop. You could get treated for everything all in the same space. So Foglia allows for, again, if you have 
uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, if you've got anxiety, if you've got obsessive compulsive disorder to the level that it's so interfering in your life that you need to kind of be removed from your day-to-day life and go live somewhere for a while and just really focus on you. And we'll talk about that in a minute, how important I think that is. Or if substance use is doing that to you, or if both, right? Um, There was someone I interviewed once at Foglia who was on over their 25th detox. And I was talking to them and I was like, you know, I just want to ask you some questions. And at the end he said, you know, you're the first person who's ever asked me about anxiety. Now, how do you go through 25 plus detoxes and never once be asked about if anxiety might be playing a role in this? That, that doesn't surprise me, but I know, we but could have it, a whole different conversation on that. We could, but it, it, sadly, it sadly happens all the time. Yes. So we need, we, the other thing that we need to do, I think in our field is so important, is to not separate substance use issues from mental health issues because they're all related to mm-hmm. each other. They go hand in hand. They do. Yeah, it, and, always, it always amazes me when someone says, you know, someone has depression and substance abuse. I'm thinking, oh, of course, yeah, of course, right. they, I'm, I'm sure of course they, they have yeah. depression mm-hmm. along with that. Yeah. I mean, it's just. Yeah. So we became the first center to treat both at the same time. And it's been really successful. So if you can look it up again, Foglia Family Foundation Residential Treatment Center. But I'm, I'm really proud of the work that we did to get that open and. Um, it's so great that it's there. People. You have people from all over the country? Yeah, people come from all over the country to get treated there. And mm-hmm. how long is their stay? You were going to talk about their... Uh, about a month is typical. Anywhere okay. between a, you know, a month, four, five, six weeks is, is kind of where, where people are, are at. And, and is, the there, is there an age range? 18 that, and over. Okay. Mm-hmm. So an adult facility. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. So you were going to talk about taking people out of their home for a residential or intensive outpatient as opposed to... Yeah, um, you know, there, we would love to just be able to treat everybody in individual therapy. And so that's one of the reasons no CDs is, is around, right? To yes. be able to do as much individual therapy as we can. And to help people in rural areas, too. Because let's yes. face it, mm-hmm. most of the experts in OCD are located in mm-hmm. big cities, right? Mm-hmm. So people in rural areas were suffering or seeing more general therapists who didn't do exposure and response prevention therapy, which, again, is the most evidence-based treatment for OCD. Uh, or they would drive for hours to get to see someone. Sometimes they drive more than the than the time they were spending in the appointment. Is or, this or app too. available out of the country? I mean, uh, as we, everything yes. these days, the is... app is available across the world, mm-hmm. so anybody can have access to That's the app. That's fantastic. Yeah, we really are doing is. therapy in Australia, Canada, and the UK currently, and there is will that be... a language thing because it's American for, I mean, for now. Eng- no, yeah, English yeah. speaking. Mm-hmm. But we'll be uh, we'll be expanding that over time as well too. That's so, absolutely mm-hmm. terrific. Yeah. My, my question was more of how do you know when mm-hmm. it's that time? Yeah, great question. So uh, when individual therapy is not doing well, right, mm-hmm. and you're just you're kind of spinning your wheels. Maybe there's treatment interfering behaviors that are going on, which could be again those safety behaviors we've we've talked about in the past: avoidance, reassurance, distraction, substance use, or just continuous use of compulsions despite working on it with therapy, then you might need to go to higher levels of care. So there's really three higher levels of care. There's intensive outpatient therapy, which is three hours a day for a minimum of four days a week. There's partial hospital program, which is six hours a day for five days a week. And then there's residential treatment where you go up to actually living in the situation or in, in, in the experience and typically do that for a month to two months is, is rather typical for that. Wow. 
And it all really depends on how well someone is doing at the level they're at. So if I'm seeing somebody and we're not seeing the, the things that we want to see, we might move them up to that IOP level. If that's not working, it might go to PHP. Uh, sometimes people will start at the PHP level, right? They're just, they've waited so long, they're not working anymore, their family stuck, everything like that. So that might be where they start. Typically, before you go to residential, you would need to have failed PHP and IOP. Oh, yeah. You know, insurance companies are probably going to look at that as, yes. as something uh, to a, do. Yes. Yeah, as you probably and, then know. With, yeah. and then with residential, is there the opposite of step down to a partial? And yes, then you would step to, back down to mm -hmm. a partial and then to an intensive Before outpatient. And then you would go back to your, your individual therapist that mm -hmm. you would see as well, too. Uh, one of the things we're doing at NoCD now is, is this concept. We're looking at advanced therapy where it's not quite IOP, but it's more than just once or twice a week, too. So we're, we're playing in that area to see if we can help people uh, out even in some of those transitions as well. I feel that's a niche that's so needed mm -hmm. and yeah. so missed because you have one, two, or three. Right. And right. that is it. Yeah, so I'm excited about that. that uh, that's something we're rolling out now. Oh. And the, the app is free? The app is free. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, NOCD. Check it out. That is really mm -hmm. unique. Boy, is that going to help a lot of people. It sure is. We hope so. I mean, that's that's our goal. That's that's our mission is is to get more people treated, right, so that we can help, you know, quote, unquote, solve the OCD problem mm -hmm. for so many folks who are, who are suffering in silence or in, you know, parts of the world where they just don't have access to. Yeah, and like I, I bring up every show over something, whatever top, whatever the topic of the moment is, it's stigma, too. The stigma yeah. of um, of having OCD, of all of these mental illnesses, is so strong. Sometimes it's hard for someone to reach out for help, and boy, you know they really need it. So no CD mm -hmm. is um, is a great tool. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's. Uh I, I think back, you know, obviously the stigma is better. Now, we're not treffening mm -hmm. people because we think they have demons in their head and we're not cutting holes in their skulls like oh, we did 400. What is treffening? Treffening was uh, the belief that demons were in hell, which would be below the ground, of yes. course, and heaven being above. And, and now and then a demon would escape from hell and try to get into heaven. If you happen to be standing on the spot, though, where the demon was escaping from, the demon could pass through skin and he would go through your body, but he would get lodged in your brain because oh. skull demons can't pass through skull skull is too okay. thick for demons to pass through <laughs> so then what you would do of course is you would cut a hole in someone's skull in order for the demon to escape and then make its way up to heaven so that was called treffening so you can see in old graveyards from medieval times you may find um, mass graves where asylums used to be mm -hmm. and you will see many of them will have a hole at the top really? of their head and that was that was the release of the demon mm -hmm. i'm so sheltered i know never even knew that happened yeah but i can definitely see mm -hmm. yeah wow yeah so we've come a long way right um and we're not blaming moms anymore for mm -hmm. everything as well too so thank you for that you're yeah. welcome you're welcome yeah <laughs> that, that was always tough i agree that, we've mm -hmm. come a long way mm -hmm. I, I you know much more to go but more to go more to go but, absolutely mm -hmm. but i do feel like things are getting better a tiny yeah. bit little by little yeah the conversation is out there in a different way right you know, you have, you have a lot more control over your blood sugar than you do over your brain, mm -hmm. right? Yes. Yeah. Um, 
and and I know people with diabetes, though I'm not. This is no nothing against that, but just you can change your diet and all those kinds of things, and that will have a, a, a much more significant role in that. But in terms of being able to control the way the brain works or brain chemistry or anything of that nature, we're still in infancy in that. We just oh, absolutely. we just don't know mm-hmm. yet. Even the medications that are out now, we don't know why they all work, right? We we right. don't fully understand. A lot of them pre- are that. prescribed off label. Yeah. Yeah, uh, so, so we, we, there's a lot of... It's a hit or miss. In this. Now, the good thing about exposure and response prevention therapy is you can you can do a brain scan on someone. You can see their brain change through really? ERP. Oh, that's really Well, if you think about it, if I expose you to something you're afraid of, right? And so let's say you're in a scanner, and I can show you a picture of a spider. Julie, you said you're afraid yes. of spiders, right? And then I do therapy with you. And then I show you a picture of a spider. Your brain now, when you see the spider, will look different than it did when it saw the spider before therapy because oh, wow. you won't have that firing off of the flight, flight, or freeze response right. anymore, right? So, so brain learning changes the way the brain works. Yes. Right? And that's our goal in therapy is to help people learn how to handle things that are uncomfortable, that they're afraid of. And in doing so, having a different reaction to those things than they had before therapy. It seems so simplistic. Yeah, I was just going to say, what a hopeful philosophy. Yes. Yeah. Anyone listening to this, I would think after this episode is over, would think there is hope. I mean, you're giving a very hopeful outlook on this. Yeah. That yeah. you can change the way you think. You can you know, it's there's no magic pill. You can yeah. do this. It's you can really, change the way you think, mm-hmm. the way you feel. You can change the way you behave, right? Uh, it's such a hopeful comment. I'd yes. contend it's easier to change the way you think and feel by changing how you behave than it is trying to spend a lot of time changing the way you think and feel. I had to think about that mm-hmm. for a minute. So, But it makes great sense. It's easier for me to expose you to a dog or a spider or mm-hmm. something that you're afraid of and gradually get you to sit with it than for me just to talk to you for hours and hours about why to not be afraid of spiders. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Because if all I did was talk to you about not being afraid of spiders, the next time you saw a spider, you'd still be you'd afraid. Still afraid mm-hmm. right? But if I bring one in here, and, and even though you hate me at first for doing so, after an hour or two of being able to be with it and even maybe hold the spider and let it crawl on you and everything like that, you learn. Okay, my initial thought about spiders aren't all founded, and I don't have to be so afraid of them anymore. Not to not to mention, it gives you a boost of confidence that you've yes. gotten over something for yourself. Like that, you know, confidence is is such, and self esteem is such a player in everything. Mm-hmm. And to think you'd get over that with the spider, it's a boost of confidence. Absolutely. Something something you Absolutely. thought I just didn't think I could do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Speaking of, I know you wrote a book, so oh, can yes. you tell us a little bit the, about your book? The OCD if wanna, Answer Book. So, want to find it out there and read it? Yeah, it's it's uh, everywhere. You can get it online. What's uh, the title? The OCD Answer Book. So, if you can check it out, it uh, basically I just collected uh, people I knew back when I was writing it. I said uh, I sent out an email and said, "What do you want to know about OCD?" And I wrote a Q&A book about OCD. So Great. it's, it's, it's fabulous. two or three paragraphs, uh, answers to questions that people had about obsessive compulsive disorder. I will definitely check that out. Mm-hmm. Yes. I hope everyone else does too. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much, Patrick, for your time, for all this insightful this information. Fascinating. You're so amazing. If people want to find you, they go to... 
Yeah, just go North. to, you can find us at NoCD, you know, and check me out there and uh, be more than happy if people have questions uh, to either get in touch with you guys, forward it to me, or or you can get get to me through NoCD. That would be fine, too. Great. Right. And we'll link that on all our social media. So if you're looking for him, we'll link that on there. Where we have your bio, they'll be able to see who, who you are. Because, boy, was this fascinating. You yeah. were, uh, you have to come back. Sure. Well, okay. we'll do a Can't hoarding leave one. Without That'll be fine. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Thank Sounds you so great. much. All Thank right. you. Don't forget to follow us on social media. We are on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Snapchat. And please, please download, like, and follow our podcast so you can keep up with our upcoming episodes. We have some amazing guests. We have some amazing conversations. You will not want to miss it. If you have questions or comments, please find us at behindourdoor.mail.com. If you or someone you know is in crisis struggling with mental illness, you can call the National Suicide Hotline at 1-800-273-8255 or the NAMI Helpline at 1-800-950-6264. Until next time, please join us for another conversation behind our door. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.